Well, I'm excited to welcome you as we gather once again as the Christ Journey family, not only here in South Florida, but across the nation, around the world, and wherever you're making your connection with us through church online, we greet you in the name of God who so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we are praying that uh, wherever you find yourself embattled this day, uh, some hurt, some hardship, some heartache, that the love of God will find welcome in your life. In his name I pray, amen. Now, if I were to ask you what Gettysburg and Normandy have in common, chances are, pretty quick, you would say, well, they're both battlefields. I mean, they're both battlefields where historic, history-shaping conflict was fought. Okay, if I say ancient Ephesus and modern Miami, well, the answer is the same. They're both battlefields where history-shaping conflict is fought, only not of the physical kind, but rather of the spiritual kind. Now, if I said spiritual warfare, what comes to mind? Now, for some people, you just go blank. Others, perhaps, you're thinking, well, there's no such thing. Or maybe somebody thought, oh, demons and, um, you know, uh, spectacular, sensational horror movie kind of stuff, especially scary movie this time of year, October 31st. I was asked by someone from another church, um, why don't you preach against Halloween since it's the devil's day? <clears throat> and I, I'm going to tell you what I told them and what I tell the devil. In my life, in my Bible, the devil doesn't get a day. My Bible says this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice in it that today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is the day of salvation. So I don't want to give any day to the devil, you know. And frankly, I don't see any harm, any evil in children dressing up and asking their neighbors for candy. But listen, moms, dads, your love is still the best defense against bad influence, right? Thank God for loving your children. And yet some of us are still afraid. Why? Well, because of stuff we know in our past, in our lives. You know, curses, witches, santeros, santaria. This is not make-believe in some people's life story. So, um, so we're afraid. So I'm thinking this message will help you because here's the bottom line of the entire letter of Ephesians. You don't, we don't have to live in fear. We live in Christ. Your position in Christ affects everything in this life and the next life. So the sooner we wrap our hearts of faith around our position in Christ, the less we have to fear, including the evil one. John, the apostle, also pastored the church in Ephesus for a while. And he's the one who wrote this, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And he would know that because he traveled with Jesus. Jesus, when he went in his ministry, um, Jesus proved that he was greater wherever he went. I mean, evil spirits would start sounding off. Reading through the gospels, you hear them, they say, who, what do you have to do with us? Did you come to destroy us, O son of the living God? They knew who he was. They knew he was in charge. They still do. And they know that Jesus has empowered his followers with his authority over evil spirits. 
Perhaps you didn't know that. Actually, the disciples didn't know it until they got out in the middle of them one time. Then they came back. They were all hyped up uh, from what had just happened. They said this, even demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said this, I've given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. It's like, yeah, what did you expect? But then he says this, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, it's like the power that you have is an extension of your position in me. So you should be happy that you're in my family and that I'm in you. But chances are, when I said spiritual warfare, what didn't come to mind are some normal everyday experiences. Just what you would consider ordinary in life, like petty frustrations in your marriage or outbursts of fear and anger with your children or with your parents, or suspicions that kind of cloud your mind and keep you from trusting people in your relationships, or that diversion into a seemingly harmless time that holds another agenda. Sometimes, well, let me tell you this, spiritual warfare does not always present itself as spectacular evil. Many times what we call demonic doesn't look like it at all. Whatever you think is demonic. Actually, Paul says the Satan likes to play dress up. He masquerades as an angel of light. So he usually comes in claiming the moral high ground. Very deceptive. Sometimes spiritual warfare is what's going on when somebody says, well, that's just the way we are. And actually they're covering a dysfunctional family system that has been damaging people for generations. And the casualties of that warfare are seen in their family tree. Sometimes what pop culture calls conventional wisdom is actually spiritual warfare, but it's under the disguise of the status quo because it's been protecting a power structure for so long. But most all the time, spiritual warfare involves the thoughts that you have, especially the thoughts that have you. The thoughts that have you. Now, let's talk about culture for a moment. What do Miami and Ephesus have in common? They're separated by 20 centuries and yet still have some things in common. What would they be? Well, both of them are cities on the edge, both culturally and geographically. They both are harbored on a seaport with a natural harbor, culturally with busy seaport, a gateway to the world. Both um, are economic centers for huge regions of the country with financial drivers that glisten with wealth. Buildings show that usually. And Ephesus, they hosted one of the seven wonders of the world, the magnificent Temple of Artemis, also known as Diana, with over 100 marble pillars, 56 feet high each. The, the temple was four, and a, four football fields long and two and a half football fields wide. And it was their pride and joy in the Roman Empire to go to Ephesus to see the temple of Artemis. Brickle, Brickle Avenue hosts the Panorama Tower, 85 stories high, actually 85 stories, 868 feet tall. It is the tallest building in the state of Florida, the tallest residential building south of Manhattan. 
Ephesus had a 25-seat outdoor theater where dramas were enacted and gladiator combat was engaged. Miami Hard Rock Stadium seats 65,000. For the competitions and the concerts that happened there, Artemis and, and Ephesus was a sensual city as well. Artemis was a fertility goddess, one of the most popular of their day. That means that people who worshipped her were promised long life, fertility, sexual fulfillment, and protection during childbirth. It was a stronghold of pagan religion that was practiced through temple prostitution at the temple we just saw. Miami is a sensual city as well, with sex, a sex appeal that attracts people from all over the world. Would that it didn't attract so many traffickers. Ephesus was a capital city in the Roman Empire, a seat of Roman power. Miami is the power center for government, politics, media, education, healthcare, so many things. Southcom is located here. The United States Southern Command, which is responsible for anything that happens militarily in the Southern Hemisphere. So what do Ephesus and Miami have in common? I can tell you at least three things. Money, sex, and power. Spiritual battlefields. That's what those are. Now, frankly, maybe you don't see a problem. It's like, hey, what's wrong with living in a place that's pulsing with money, sex, and power. Well, nothing when these gifts of God, because that's what they are, gifts of God are used appropriately to be enjoyed and stewarded to benefit others and for people's good. Blessed. But when they're not, I mean, when they're out of control, oh my, you got a battle on your hands, don't you? Am I wrong? Battle on you. This is spiritual warfare. So if you're going to engage in spiritual war, you better be prepared. And when it finally hits you that this means war, then it's going to be real important that you've got what it takes when the battle is on your hands. And that's what Ephesians chapter 6 offers. In Saving Private Ryan, there's a point, in, there's a scene where the paratroopers that are coming into live action have actually lost their weapons. This is not a good thing. To be in a field of battle and not be equipped to face the day. What will you need to win the personal, cultural, and not always visible battle of the spirit that happens in spiritual warfare? Ephesians chapter 6 has got what we need. So I want to invite you to hear it again for the very first time. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And our struggle for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and having done all, having done everything, to stand. Readiness lesson number one. For your struggle, Christ is your strength. Believer, for your struggle, Christ is your strength. The believer's struggle is real. It is spiritual war 
fair. And that's why Paul's writing about it. And it can present in many forms. So he says, but the answer is the same. Whichever one of those levels that hits you, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In other words, when you find yourself at war, remember your position in Christ. The whole letter has been about that. Don't just, don't just ask God for strength. Christ is your strength. He's already living in you. You're already in him. He's seated in the heavenlies, which means you are already overcoming with him. So don't just say, oh God, give me strength. No, say thank you, God, that Christ is my strength by faith in that moment. And then even if the war is happening in the spiritual realms of the heavenlies, guess what? You're already seated with him. Every rule, authority, power, and dominion is under his feet. And if you're in him, it means it's already under your feet. And that's part of what growing spiritually means, to rise to the level of overcomer. But it's out of his victory that you will win your war. And he wants you to have trophies from your own war. So don't be intimidated by the evil schemes and the threats of the evil one. How? By putting on the full armor of God. That's why this is so important. This, that means taking your total spiritual appropriation in Christ. He says, put on the full armor of God. What does that mean? That means claim what all that is already yours. Appropriate means claim all that is already yours in Christ. You don't need him to give you something new. You just need to clothe yourself in what you already possess in him. So, the deposits are already in your account, which means all you got to do is know how to make the withdrawal, right? That's what it was. So if you're not a believer yet, the first step in spiritual warfare is open an account. <laughs> and then let Christ make a huge deposit because he wants to bring all of the riches of his grace into your account and then you make withdrawals and live and fight out of that. And it's the same thing for every believer. So second lesson, first is readiness lesson number two. Take your total spiritual appropriation of Christ. All of him for all of you. God wants to fill you to the full measure of Christ, not just of yourself, of Christ. We read that earlier in the letter. So all those deposits are there so that you can consciously clothe yourself in him. And he writes the same principle in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. He says, Clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 6, he shows us how, starting in verse 14. He says, you got to put the belt of truth on. That's centered to all the other pieces, and it also holds your sword. You'll need that. Jesus said, I am the truth. So since the battle usually involves deception, you're going to need to know what's true and what's not. When you're confused, needing understanding, facing the barrage of deception and misdirection of the day, here's what you can say. Thank you, God, that Christ is my truth. And you enact your faith and you speak it out with gratitude. You're not asking him to give you something new. You're just claiming what's already yours in Christ. Then breastplate of righteousness. That guarded the vital organs, lungs, heart. When they feel the accuser's slander, shaming you at the, cutting you to the heart and trying to send you on a guilt trip, what are you supposed to do? Well, when the devil tells you you're not good enough and he smears you with some compromise or some contradiction in your life from your past or your thoughts or your, um, your history, then you just tell him, hey, it's not by works of righteousness that I've done, but according to his mercy that he saved me, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
And so I say, thank you, God. Christ is my righteousness. You say it by faith with gratitude. Then you put on the gospel shoes of peace, the shoes of gospel peace. Now, a Roman soldier's sandals were made to hold him firmly in when the pressure was on, he could hold his ground. So likewise, when you feel like you're being pressured to give in, don't yield to anxiety or panic or fear. Oh no, you say, I got my shoes on. The gospel of peace is gonna hold me strong. And you say, thank you, God. Christ is my peace. You don't need more of him. You need to access what you already have. Claim it. Shield of faith. Roman shield was big enough to hide a soldier's entire body behind so that when those tar-tipped uh, flaming arrows came in, they could extinguish it in the, sword, in the uh, shield itself. When you feel like you're under attack from fiery trials and doubts that are dogging you and frying your mind, and they're coming down on you. Don't underestimate the power of your faith. Why? Because it's not your faith. Look at this. Thank you, God. Christ is the author and finisher of my faith. My faith is small, but it comes from Jesus, and he's big. And he can handle it, so I thank him for it. And you know what? Those shields, when combined, form a kind of fortress. Seen this in the Gladiator movie. You remember that? 10, 12 guys circle up, they're facing chariots that are armed to the teeth with spears and swords, but they circle up, put their shields up. I'm thinking small group right here, who when my faith seems small, I got some others that can come and shield me with the faith God has given them as well, then, and virtually impenetrable. The helmet of salvation, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, calls this helmet the helmet of hope. Hope, I really need this. You know, when you feel like giving up, like you don't have what it takes, like, oh, it's just futile. What's the use? I'm telling you, you put your helmet of hope on, it can cure your discouragement and the depression that is trying to swallow you. Here's how to respond. With your own voice, enact your faith and say, thank you, God. Christ Jesus is my hope. You could even say it out loud. And let the truth of your heart show up through your voice and establish your ground. Then say, so far the armor, by the way, has all been defensive because the evil one's on the attack, right? But we also have two offensive weapons. The first one is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is why it's so important for believers to learn the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, then start with the New Testament. It's for us, right? And get into it and let it get into you, and you'll see more about why in just a moment. So, But when you're feeling the draw of temptation and the distraction and disruption of lies, the sword of the spirit will be your weapon that you can slice through the lies. Thank God that, thank you God that in Christ I have God's word and I can yield my battle to him. And then finally, verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Always keep praying. There is a spiritual arsenal praying in the spirit when we take on these enemies. So while you're doing everything else, thank God that Christ 
You know, I can say, thank you, God, that Christ is my high priest and he is making intercession for me right now. In fact, there's never a time he's not praying for me, which means there's never a time that it's a wrong time to pray. You can never pray at the wrong time. Did you know that? Whenever you pray, it's the right time to pray. Pray without ceasing. That's what it means. It's always the right time to pray. And you got to keep the conversation open so that in the midst of the heat of the battle, it's so important to get your instructions from headquarters, isn't it? Yes. So you always keep it open. Now, something stands out to me in this sequence. Have you noticed? Every one of these scenarios involve a way of thinking, a state of mind, a sense of being. So here's what it looks like to me. Bill, since every battle you face is going to inevitably involve your mind, that's the place that you need to appropriate Christ the most. In my head. So Paul is saying that it's not only possible, it is essential for you to claim Christ's resources as your own in your mind. To appropriate Christ's resources to fight your battles when they try to engage you. But the field of engagement is where? Your mind. The field of spiritual battle. Your mind. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians makes it really clear. Chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And here we pick it up, verse, 15, or verse 5. We demolish arguments. Those are mental constructs. And every pretense, that's a lie, that sets itself up against the what? Knowledge. Now, where do you store knowledge? In your mind. So when we are engaging at that level, he says, we now take captive every thought. That's interesting. <laughs> it's trying to take me captive, and I can flip this thing and bring that, right, that victory right into my mind. Right now, I can do that and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, the way to full freedom is full obedience to Jesus Christ in your mind. That a new thought? Shouldn't be, because Jesus said, you know, the greatest commandment is you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You gotta give him access to your thought life so that you can experience his victory in your head and then from there into your life. So the way to full freedom is to learn the secret of surrender. Now this is gonna feel counterintuitive, I definitely tell you it's countercultural, but here's what it means experientially. It means that every part of Christ is yours when every part of you is his. Hold on to that. Every part of Christ is yours. He's already living in you, but how do you access what you already have? Well, it's when every part of you is his. So the secret of surrender and of total appropriating of who Christ is in you is welcome, is surrender. It's, it's welcoming Christ's presence, Christ's power, Christ's truth into all of you. He's already alive in you, but now you're gonna give him full access. Every part of Christ is yours when every part of you is his. Now this is what spiritual warriors do. If you wanna be one of those and you wanna win a winning war, then this is what you gotta learn how to do. Open your life to Christ as a way of life. Not just every now and then, but every now. Every now is the time of God's favor. Every day is the day of salvation. I keep my life open to the fullness of God in Christ. Every thought, every word, every feeling, every deed, every occasion. So what does that mean? It means no matter what I'm doing, I'm gonna be asking this question. God, what would you have of me now? 
And you know the answer is always the same. Whatever you're holding on to now. Oh, okay. That, then have your way with that. This, have your way with this. So, Lord, what would you have of me now? Whatever is having me right now. And if I'm open to whatever I'm holding, then guess what? Nothing becomes beyond the reach of his victory in Christ and of his resource of fullness. So, what does that mean? That means welcome him intentionally, verbally. Enact your will to say, Lord, you're welcome in my business dealings. You're welcome in my family plans. You're welcome in my boardroom, in my bedroom, in my parenting, in my schooling, in my dreaming, in my relating, in my recreation, in my recreating. Lord, there's not one part of me. And every time that you do that, you know what you're doing? You're repelling the darkness. You're welcoming the light. And when you decide the other way, what are you doing? You're playing for the other team. Because the battle's right here, right? What does that mean? It means that God can and will bless your money. God can and will bless your sexuality. God can and will bless your power. God can overcome temptation. God can bring out of the ashes of yesterday a beautiful building for tomorrow in you. But like a potter, you know what? He does his work best when the clay is yielding to his hands. When it's responding to his shaping, every part of Christ is yours when every part of you is his. Yes, even that part, whatever that part is you're holding. And then as he leads you to win the war and not be held captive anymore, then he will use you to help others do the same. And sometimes the spectacular defeat, it will be the spectacular defeat of supernatural evil. We have seen that in our ministry, in our missions. But more, it's going to show up, my guess is, every day in what you might be calling the ordinariness of life. It's just stuff that happens. Like in a culture of shaming and guilt and discouragement and moral failure and doubt and fear and trials and temptation, what do I mean? I mean that every part of you, every part of Christ is yours when every part of you is his as a school teacher who is now helping a student that his parents cannot. That as a single mom who's in the PTA taking cookies for the whole class so that every student knows how special they are, that they matter, because love is being shown. To the banker who is crossing every T and dotting every I because it matters so much that they show themselves trustworthy in business, letting the light shine. This is the housekeeper who knows where the valuables are and treats them as valuably as the homeowner does. This is the wife who doesn't have to say everything that crosses her mind because every part of her is now every part of his and he's showing up through her. This is the husband who after 16 hour day shows up and takes time to be kind and considerate and play with the toddler and give mom a break. This is uh, someone who approaches the refrigerator in a healthy way for life-giving returns. Someone who knows when to say when Someone who follows the prescription on the prescription drugs. 
This is, um, this is someone who treats others as people worthy of dignity and respect and purity, shining the light. So the spiritual battle, what I'm trying to say is the spiritual battle isn't only fought in deep prayer and in miraculous worship. It's fought every day in the day-to-day-ness of life, the obedience of faith, the disciplining of our thoughts, our words, our actions. So if the battle is happening in here and thoughts are requesting permission to land, I'm thinking it's like an airport, you know, where my will is the air traffic controller and these thoughts are doing flybys, say, and request permission to land. Sometimes they don't request permission. They just try to bully their way in and take over the runway, right? What do you do? Well... Your will has the power, Christ is in you, you're in Christ, that if you start enacting your will and your thoughts want to take you somewhere, you can push back. You can put them up against what did Jesus say about you, about me, and when a thought tells you something other, then you put it up against him and push back. Like, you know, Bill, you just can't take it anymore. You really, you've done this so long and it's not just, it's not doing what you wanted and, you know, I I don't know. Challenge it. Challenge that thought. You don't have what it takes. Challenge that thought and go the extra mile. If a thought doesn't align to the truth of God's word, then it doesn't have heaven's authority, so it shouldn't have authority over you, so why are you giving it power? That's the spiritual battle right there. I was painting my backyard fence one day And fortunately, I had a baseball cap on because I felt this plop, plop on my head. And I looked up and there was a very happy bird perched directly over me who had just made his own deposit, you know, (laughs) on my mind. And here's the thing. You cannot always control what lands on your head, but that doesn't mean it has to stay there. You know what I'm saying? So that's what he's talking about. You got to wake up. You got to stand up. Stand up. When something tries to dump on you, then you stand up and say, no, I want to tell you who I am. And so you push back by faith in your own mind. Jesus, temptation, Matthew chapter 4, it was a spiritual battle. The devil was there showing him down. But you know what the devil's technique was? Put thoughts in Jesus' head. Read it for yourself, Matthew 4. And how did he fight? How did Jesus fight back? He challenged every thought. Every thought the devil tried to put in his head and the devil started quoting Bible verses because he thought, well, hey, he's Jesus. He probably listened to the Bible. But Jesus knew more of the Bible than the devil did. And he used his sword to slice through the lie, the clever subtleties that would take him off point. So you don't have to believe everything you're being fed, even in your own mind. October 31st, we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. You know, there are two things that we can say, thank you, God, that happened to the Protestant Reformation. The Bible was brought to the language of the people so everybody could have access and read it for themselves. And the second thing is salvation by grace through faith that God is showing up on our side to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, not by our works, but by his gifts. And so we say, thank you, God. Can I tell you something? You're going to need both of those if you're going to fight a spiritual battle that wins. You're going to need the power of God's word. Not me saying it, you. You saying it. 
It's going to have to be in your mind so that when you're in the field of conflict, the Holy Spirit will remind you, hey, remember? And then you'll go, oh, my sword. And then the other is that it's not up to you. It's a gift of God's grace and that you're clothed in Christ. He's in you, you're in him, and you're not fighting to victory, you're fighting from victory and will overcome in Christ. So let's summarize real quick. Get to know God through his word and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Ask him to teach you as you read it. Listen to it, read it, study it, take it in, then live it out. Number two, as thoughts come into your mind, then put them up against what Jesus said. Align your thoughts to the truth of Christ. So as you hear his voice speaking through his word or prompting you by the spirit, then your response is simply what Mary said when the angel showed up saying, here's what God has for you. What did she say? Be it unto me according to your word. Okay, I'm taking it in. It's going to have my mind, and then you can have my body. But I want what you have for me. And then the third one is this. Live from your new knowledge of who you are in Christ. You claim his fullness. And don't give in to the manipulation of guilt or the deception of fear or the misdirection of temptation. You'll start seeing through this stuff and then you can draw your own sword and start living from the truth that will make you free. And that's what spiritual warfare is supposed to be taking us into. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Clothe yourself in Christ and remember this, every part of Christ is yours when every part of you is his. So what is it that God is asking of you right now? Well, the answer is always the same. What are you holding on to right now? What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? Then release it. Say, God, you're my God. I'm your servant. And the next time the battle rages, you can fight the good fight and learn for yourself what Jesus meant when he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? God, we pray you'll raise up warriors out of this. Warriors, warriors. The battle is raging even now. Families are on the brink. Lives are on the line. Marriages are in turmoil. Businesses are being tempted. Our country's in flames. Lord, we need warriors who will rise up and say, I will clothe myself in Christ and I will take on the armor and learn to win God's way. So I'm praying that right now you would call out perhaps somebody who is unsuspecting, who has never thought of themselves as a great overcomer in you, but you would speak your vision into their heart. And that right now they would say, be it to me according to your word. Make me one of those, Lord. I know I've struggled, I know I've fought, I know I've stumbled, I know I've failed but I know that my yesterday does not have to define my tomorrow. So have your way with me, Lord. What is it you're holding on to? Would you release it to him right now? Is it a thought? Is it a feeling? Is it a word? Is it a sin? Is it an old habit? Is it a hurt that somebody did to you? What is it? Well, every part of you is in Christ, but you will access every part of him as you open your hands, open your heart, 
and say, Lord, I've been holding this, but I would rather you hold it and I'll just hold you. Would you do that right now? He's hearing our prayers. He's present in this place. And if you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and would like to know how can I overcome, open an account right now and let Jesus make a deposit of the riches of his grace in you. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I receive the gift of salvation in you. Forgive my sins, fill me with your spirit and now lead me as I turn from my way to your way to become the overcomer you would have me be. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your decision, would you simply raise your hand just for a moment and hold it up. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner across the screen and you'll let us join you in prayer right there. To my right, God bless you. Amen. Thank you, sir. To my left here in the middle, God bless you, sir. Right on the aisle. Thank you, sir. Nothing's too hard for God. Lord, for each one who has just raised their hand, I pray that as clay, they would now sense your hand shaping them, molding them, and making them into the warrior who overcomes. And we thank you for giving us the victory in Jesus Christ.